Hi, I'm Bob Switzer, and this is the Epic Narrative. So, David and the 600 men go into the wilderness, strongholds in the hills of the deserts. This would have been, uh, you know, basically caves, forests, ravines, woods, hills, mountains. I mean, they're deserts. It's it's every kind of, well, not every kind. I know there's like 17 ge- geological environments in the world. It's a lot of different ones. And it keeps it keeps everybody moving. Also, they have to be constantly adapting, constantly uh, foraging. I'm sure they went several days sometimes without without real good amounts of food or water. I mean, 600, 600 people, that's no small amount of food. I mean, I, I love to host parties. I love to have people at my house. There's no way around that. And and I know what it takes. I know the amount of food it takes. I love doing it, but I do know it's not uh, it's not an easy task. So for 600 of them, there had to be some logistics that were constantly coming up when you're when you don't have a you know a steady place to stay. A lot of you probably have been camping, and what do you do? You bring a ton of supplies with you because you don't want to go foraging and. Uh, through the forest or or you don't want to leave your campsite but if you didn't have that option it would be a difficult thing to do but there they are out in the wilderness moving from from caves to desert to mountains to hills to forests and every day Saul search for him every day that means it was, it was, uh, huh. there's a lack of comfort that can occur when you know you constantly have to keep moving. Now, I'm not saying that David was without the, without peace. I think David completely knew the peace of God. I think he understood how to live in the moment. I think every day that Saul pursued him, David saw and didn't catch him. I think David recognized that as being rescued from God, or, you know, being rescued. Uh, he, he gave God credit for it. I think, I think that's the essence of a thankful heart. A thankful heart stays in the moment. A thankful heart sees the good in in every situation, not not at the end of it, not like not like oh man, I'm going through all these issues, everything's so bad. I don't know how I'm going to survive. And then it turns out you survive. And then you go, oh, I just thank the Lord for everything. Praise the Lord. He's good. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. But that was a hard time. That was hard. It was, it was difficult. I, I struggled every day. But God is good. See, that to me is sweet and cute. But it's not reality. To live in the reality of heaven is to stay in the moment and see God's goodness in the moment. To see God's goodness in the day. It's not some it's not some um, frosting that you slather over, you know, a pie that tastes uh, a pie, a cake that tastes disgusting. 
He's like, well, we'll just we'll just slather this with some sweet cream butter uh, frosting, and we'll call it cake, and we'll say it's beautiful and wonderful, even though really we hated it and it was horrible. That 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 kind of that kind of mentality is so dangerous, and I don't think David had it, or I think his men would have turned on him. David stayed in the moment. David David saw the goodness of God every day, and he mentions that often in, in the Psalms that he writes. I see the goodness of the, of, of the Lord. I see the goodness. I will see the goodness. He committed himself to finding it. I will. I will. He made a choice. It was an act of his will. It's the same concept of like falling in love and, and, and staying in love. So many people will fall in love, and then they're like, well, I don't know what happened. Because so much of love is a willful choice that you make every day. I will love this person. I will love this person. I will love this person every day. Now, I'm not saying you stay in abusive situations. Please don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I, I, I say that because many times people in abusive situations are there and remain there because of religious mindsets of so many people in the church that are like, oh, you better not leave your husband, you better not leave your wife. God wouldn't be happy with you. Well, we can save that for another conversation. If you want more details on that, you know, email me, um, thebobswitzer at gmail.com, but, and, and we can get into it on a separate podcast, but I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that if you stay in the moment, you stay thankful in the moment, you, if you want to love, you, you willfully choose to be in love many, many times. Every day, you willfully find the goodness of God every single day. And David is daily being pursued by Saul, daily. Every day, Saul was searching for him. It doesn't necessarily mean that Saul was running around with the 3,000 men every day, although I'm sure that they were at the ready. It means that there were people out searching for him. There were parties maybe of 10 or 12 men that would run, you know, ride around or, or walk around they were all looking for information. They were talking to nomads, talking to to um, tradesmen and and farmers and shepherds and whatever, whoever they could find. They'd say, "Hey, you know, have you seen David?" Everybody knew generally what David looked like. I mean, you got to re- remember, like he showed up in the in the capital city of the Philistines, and they recognized him. They had never seen him in person. The description of David had was so clear in the culture of the day that they knew who he was. So they would go looking for him and they couldn't find him. But David would hear back from those same nomads, those same shepherds, those same servants, those same people, the tradesmen that were on the routes. He would hear back from them through his own little back channels that Saul is not giving up. Saul is still looking for you. Saul is still on in the pursuit. You need to be careful out here, David. So David and his men would continue to move. <clears throat> from strongholds in the wilderness, in the hills, in the deserts. So while David was in one particular area in the desert, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. So there was there was a, a, a more focused pursuit of him. Now, now, meanwhile, meanwhile, back at the palace, Jonathan is probably running the country so to speak. His father is in pursuit of David. His father has one goal, 
to kill the man who causes all of his problems. <laughs> of course, David doesn't call, cause any of, of Saul's problems, but but for for Saul, David's the source of all the problems because David constantly reminds Saul that Saul doesn't really know who he is. Because David works and lives out of an identity that David is confident in. He's confident in who he is because of, of his connection to heaven. Periodically, does David have a bad day? Absolutely. Does he feel overwhelmed and encircled by the enemy? Absolutely. But where does he always end up? He always ends up in the moment where where he says, "You know what? But God, you're with me. You've never forsaken me. I'm. You are always. You are always defending me. You are my strong defender. You are my strong tower. In the middle of the wilderness, you are the. You are my source of strength." David always ends up at the right place, and Saul doesn't. So for Saul, David is a constant reminder of what he could be, and he doesn't like it because because that means he's made a bad decision. That means he's made wrong choices. And when you're when you when you've isolated yourself and you've become a dicta, dictatorial in your leadership and you've created a fear of ever being wrong amongst all the people who work for you, then you can't be wrong either because everything you say has to be obeyed. And this did not happen, I, I believe, as I've said it before. I don't think this happened overnight to Saul. I think it happened over time. I think he kept moving in this direction and God kept inviting him back. And Saul kept moving in that direction and God kept keeps inviting him back. God's love is relentless. And the mere fact that David keeps eluding Saul, keeps, you know, Saul can't find him. Saul's not getting information. It's not that God is is against Saul. It's that God keeps inviting him to have the same protection, the same love, the same the same interactions that that David has with God, Saul could have with God. But Saul misinterprets all of the favor and blessing on David's life to mean that God doesn't love him. And we all do that too. I've seen it so many times. People look at other quote, you know, how come how come God loves them so much? How come their life is so easy? How come they became famous? How come how come everybody wants to go to their life group? How come he got the promotion or she got the raise or or you know, however you want to look at it or or <laughs> <laughs> or their podcast is number one in America and not mine. I, I actually don't feel that way, but I thought I'd throw that out there. Of course, maybe by now it is number one. I don't know. This could take off. It could go viral. Viral. I'm only kidding. I knew what the word was. All right. Sorry. We look at the blessing on other people and we take it as God anti-us. Like God is against us and for them. See, God's blessings are available for all. He literally can give everyone blessings. He literally can promote everyone. He literally can can elevate everyone. And we are the ones that say no. He's either if he's for them, then he's against me. That's not how love works. That's not how God works. He was for David and he's for Saul. But Saul refuses to see it that way, chooses not to see it that way, chooses to not change his perspective, i.e. repent, 
He has the opportunity. He has good connections. He could go home and talk to Jonathan. Jonathan is an amazing connection to God, and he and and Saul knows it. He knows it so well that he didn't tell Jonathan that he was gonna that he was out to kill David because he didn't want Jonathan to talk to him. He didn't want Jonathan to talk him out of it this time. He wanted to be the strong leader who doesn't change his mind. So every day he's out pursuing David. He's trying to illustrate to the men that I am committed. When I say I'm going to kill a man, I'm going to kill a man. I don't care what it takes. I don't want to go back to the palace. He lets Jonathan, in essence, run the country, which is probably a good idea because Jonathan's a, an amazing character and a wonderful, uh, you know, a wonderful man of integrity and of, of love and of peace. And and so Jonathan gets maybe daily, maybe every other day, he gets messengers back from his father to find out how things are going, see if they've killed David yet. And he gets a message back from his father that's, uh, you know, that says, "Well, we're headed." We heard that David as is is at Horish, Horish in the desert of Ziph, and we're we're headed that way. But like like your dad's actually going going to that area. That's what it means. So Saul had come out to take his life. They're so convinced that David's in this general area that that basically all the troops now have moved into that area. They wanna they wanna kind of create a net. They wanna triple their efforts in the area to find him because they're pretty confident he's there. So Saul's son, Jonathan, I love this, verse 16. So Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horeth and helped him find strength in the Lord. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this and the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horsh. Now, I love how quickly that verse goes because it gives you basically what you need to know. Jonathan finds David and encourages him. He's like, listen, let's, let's remember, you're the next anointed king of Israel. You and I are such good friends that I'm going to be your second. Right? I'm the crown prince of the of the current regime. But when my dad's out of the picture, we're gonna anoint you the next king and I will help you run this country because I love you and I love what you do and I love God to enough and I I interact with God enough to know that this is his plan, that you're the next king of Israel. I'm good with this. And once again, let's let's just let's just commit ourselves to our families and our and our livelihoods in the favor of God. I know things look bad, David. You're running around the desert like a desert rat, hiding in caves and ravines and hilltops and under bushes, but you will be king and I will be with you. This, this is awesome. This is an awesome time, but let's get David let's let's get David and Jonathan together first. Jonathan's back at the palace. He gets word of you know that that we're pretty confident we know where David is. He's in this desert area. The three thousand troops, as well as your father, are now headed to that area. They're pretty confident they're going to be able to get him. And Jonathan's like, you know what? My friend needs me. This is awesome. How do I get there? Well, Jonathan's a marked man. I mean, he's he's in the capital city. He, he's a prince. He's probably running the country. I have no doubt there are guards around somewhere. 
whether they're at this they're at the palace gates, probably the city gates. There's probably a few attendants and and his uncles and a few a few cousins <clears throat> and a few further distant relatives that are <coughs> excuse me. I'm gonna get a drink. And we're back. A few distant relatives that are also part of the you know, councils that are around the palace that have jobs and roles to play amongst the servants, amongst the livestock. You know, you still got Doag. I'm sure he's in charge of, uh, still in charge of the livestock. He's, he's around the palace. Like, it's not like Jonathan could just be like, you know what? I'm going to go find David and hop on a donkey and take off into the wilderness. Jonathan had to make a plan. Jonathan had to construct a, a, a framework that would allow him uh, freedom to disappear. So he chooses, I mean, he. I, I'm thinking he chooses to go after sunset, which limits his visibility. But he has to get out of the, out of the city before the city gates close. Like, like there's just so many variables in this that we're not given any details on. Did he go out of the city gate before sunset and then work his way uh, out of the site of the, you know, did he go on a camping trip and did he sneak away from the guards? Is there a back door to the city that no one knew about except for the king and, of course, his, you know, his prince? Did he have a friend? or two on staff, which I'm sure he did. Jonathan was a great guy. People liked Jonathan. People were supportive of Jonathan. I'm sure that there were relatives of Saul that didn't appreciate the way Saul had become a dictator, and they kind of can't wait until Jonathan's king. So in their mind, if Jonathan wants to go uh, into the wilderness, he could have said, I'm, I, you know what, I want to go see my dad. And they might have helped him. I don't know. I don't know. But somehow Jonathan sneaks out of the city. Jonathan probably gets on a mule because it goes faster. Maybe a horse, but we've talked about this before. Horses tend to be less sure-footed, often you know, spraining their, their joints because of the, the rough terrain. So he probably jumped on a donkey. And he heads off into the wilderness. He knows where the desert, uh, this area of the desert is. And what, how, does, how does he find David? Well, he can't show up in his royal robes. David's surrounded by 600 men who, whose life goal is to protect David. He's not going to just wander up, be like, hey, hey I'm, I'm Jonathan. Good to see you guys. I know you're running from my dad, but hey, I just wanted to stop by and say hi to David. No. No, he can't do that. He's got to sneak up on 600 men. And he probably showed up without royal robes and, and weaponry. He's got to find David. Which probably means eventually he's got to talk to somebody and start asking questions. Hey, do you know where, do you know where David is? Who, who would tell Jonathan? He, that's why I think he was in disguise. I think, I think Jonathan probably disguised himself to look like a nomad, to look like a maybe a, a wandering warrior trying to find, uh, you know, David. Because David, I'm sure, was attracting 
more of, of those who hated the king, more warrior mindsetted uh, people, you know, crazy mercenaries that were like, oh, yeah, let's go join David. The dude's amazing. And the king's after him. We'll get a chance to go after the king. We'll take over the country. And when David's in charge, we'll be in charge. This will be awesome. He had, to be, he had to be attracting all kinds of lunatics. So Jonathan figures out a way to look like one of them. And he talks, he talks his way in. He gets close enough. And then, he, then he, gets, he gets really close to David. It's nighttime. David's, uh, you know, probably, I, I'm going to say he's singing. But maybe not. Maybe they're trying to be quiet. Maybe there's not a lot of big fires. Maybe there's just a few. Jonathan works his way past the past the guarded perimeter by by telling a story. But eventually he gets close enough to be able to call out David's name. And David recognizes that voice in the dark. And I mean, he turns around. He He's... He's simultaneously blown away and probably not surprised at the same time. Because internally, it was probably one of those hopes that he had. Someday I want to see Jonathan again. Jonathan's, Jonathan's crazy enough to come see me. I know he is. If I can find a way into the capital city, I'd go see Jonathan. But, but I can't. I, I can't. I, you know, I, I, just, I know Jonathan can figure this out. It'd be great to see him again. So he hears the voice, and then he's also just shocked. Shocked that Jonathan had found a way in. Shocked that Jonathan had gotten past the guards. Shocked that he was standing that close. And I'm sure they hugged each other, and they laughed. And then and then they talked, and they talked probably for hours. And within that talk, Jonathan's words were such an encouragement. Not just his presence, but his words. He reminded David of his call. To be king. He reminded David of their covenant, of friendship, of brotherhood, of family. He brought life to David. And he reminded uh, David of, of God's protection and favor. He's like, my dad is not going to kill you. And Saul knows that he can't kill you. This goes back to, again, I think the first time that, that Saul threw the spear at David and then threw it again and missed him again. I believe deep, you know, th there was a deep um, cultural belief in, within Saul that he was not going to be able to kill David. Even though he had 3,000 troops, he knew somebody else was probably going to have to kill him. Even though he had made the commitment, I'll kill him. Remember uh, when when he when they thought David was sick and they came back to the throne and they were like, "Well, David's sick in bed." He's like, "Then bring the bed to me. I'll kill him." It, 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 it he he just had this. He just knew I'm not going to be able to kill David. And they reiterated their covenant to one another. He's like, "Listen, we are brothers. We are family. You will be the next king, and I'm going to rule with you." This is a lifelong. Uh, friendship. There was this is a this is a a covenant that's that's true. Jonathan's like I'm so committed to the plan of God here. I'm so convinced 
that you are the next king, that I, I, I love this country as much as you do. I love the God as much as you do. I love the way you, that you lead. Our country needs someone like you. I'm going to help you. I'm coming alongside you. I will support you in all ways. And then it says Jonathan went home, which, again, it's not like he just ride up, be like, hey, guys, I'm back. He had, to, he had to sneak his way back through the country, up over hills, through the ravines. He had to ride in close. I don't know if he had a secret passageway. I don't know if he had somebody who opened a door for him so he could get in and out. I don't think he just commanded people, get out of my way, I'm leaving. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. That is an option. It is an option. If you like that better in, <clears throat> in your sanctified imagination, you can have Jonathan do that, where he just went to the city gate and told the guards, hey, I'm the prince. Open the door. I'll be back in a few hours. I'll be back before sunrise. I don't know. But he went home. David remained in the wilderness. Meanwhile, Saul, who's also in the wilderness, is looking for him. And some of the wilderness dwellers, some of the forest dwellers, <clears throat> the Ziphites, went to Saul at Gibeah and they said, hey, isn't David hiding among us, amongst us? Like we are the ones who live in the wilderness. David's in the strongholds of Horish in the hills of Hilkiah and south of Jishman. I Like they, they give a really pretty clear geographical area that David and 600 men are hiding out. It's not like you can hide 600 men really well. You're going to know where they are, generally speaking, especially if if the hills and the forests are your home, like where you make your living and where you have your homes. So they know where he's at. And they throw this out to, to Saul. And they're like, now listen, anytime you come down here, whenever it pleases you, we will be responsible for giving him into your hands. So they they make a, a deal with the king, right? Uh, they, this this is this is uh, this is the culture that that Saul has developed in the in the in the country, which is I'm in charge, I'm unquestioned. No one questions me because clearly I'm the smartest man in the room. And if you don't believe me, then I'll just discipline you or punish you or wipe you out so that. I'm once again the unquestioned smartest man in the room. Now, internally, he doesn't believe that, but externally, he gives that facade because that's what pride does. So they say to themselves, listen, David's saying, and we, we all know, it, I don't know, I don't know when they knew, but eventually they, they figured out Saul is after David. David is living in our general geographical area. We know where he's at. Now, the question is, do we side with David? And let him live in our area, or do we side with Saul? And I, I'm guessing that uh, not guessing. My my imagination sees like these leaders of the of the uh, Ziphites. They're sitting around, and I'm sure for days, different because they they would speak every night. The leadership, clan leaders, family leaders would sit around after dinner. I don't know, smoking a cigar or some version thereof, <laughs> they would they would talk. What do you guys want to do? I don't know. You know, it doesn't hurt anybody. It doesn't bother me if he's in the in the forest. Yeah, but what if Saul sends a bunch of men and then we all, you know, get beat up or 
And then there's others who are like, if we don't turn David in, Saul's going to think we're trying to protect David. And if Saul thinks we're protecting David, Saul will do something ugly to us. He'll burn our houses. He'll take our our families away and make them servants. We have we have to do something. So they talked and they just they would go back and forth. I'm sure it took weeks. They hear that actually Saul is is on his way, like he's he's bringing all the men toward their general area. So they decide to make a deal with Saul. They fully expect reward for this because they said, this is the general area he is. Okay, we'll give you an idea. We'll give you enough of an idea of where he is so that you'll know that we know exactly where he is. And we will see what, you're gonna res- what your response will be. And his response was, Lord bless you for your concern for me. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Because if there's one thing that people who resist God love to do, is they love to bring God into their plans. They love to make it seem like they are tr- that that they are tracking with heaven, right? There's so many times, uh, so many times you you see somebody, you know everything that they're doing, God would not approve of. That it's so anti-kingdom principles. They're so selfish, so unkind, so uh, hurtful, offensive, aggressive. And then, and then some good thing happens to them and they're like, well, you know, clearly God's on my side. <clears throat> and they take they take something like that's that's not you know, that looks like a blessing. It's really not. They take that as an opportunity to then put God's God's approval rating over everything they've done. And it could be it it could be families. I've seen it done in families too, right? Where <clears throat> where the way that <clears throat> wow, I'm really sorry today. Uh, this morning is just I've got I've got some some critter living in my throat, and it does not want to. I've drank. Trust me, I've drank a hundred ounces of water already. It is not going away. Uh, so, so sorry about that. So you know it, it can it can it can happen in families as well. You have people that you know that are that are doing things that are that are bad, horrible things. And I'm, I'm trying to do this gently, but you know, like I've, I've worked with and, and, and been around families within the church where one or two are being abusive, whether it's verbal or physically, sexually. And yet they're in church every Sunday and they give God credit for, you know, for for keeping their family together. You know, they'll be like, well, I just thank the Lord. You know, I thank the Lord so much for my family. I can't imagine life without them. And you, and, and when you find out what's been going on, you think, really, you were giving God credit for all this. You think that he was approving of your behavior because your wife didn't leave you. Wow. Or like, a child, you know, their kid will come up and hug them and they think, see, what I'm doing to them is okay because they love me. This is God's sign to me that everything I'm doing is good. It's it's strange. It is strange and twisted. And and I think Saul is there, right? So he takes this information from the Zivites and he says, hey, thanks so much. 
May the Lord bless you for your concern for me. I'm surrounded by people who aren't concerned for me, but I'm going to pass a blessing on to you because you've shown that you love me. And that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> it's kind of like, what's the, uh, 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 is it King George on, um, in that, in that play Hamilton? He, that is such a great role. Oh, you'll be back. Anyways, uh, you don't need me to sing Broadway shows to you, but that's a great, Musical, if you like musicals, I love musicals. They're awesome in their own way. Uh, okay, so he says, go get me more information. So he's he's confirming, I am coming. I will make a deal with you. You go get me the specific information. Find out where David usually goes, who has seen him there. They, they tell me he's very crafty. <laughs> I keep getting word back that no one can find him. This is... This is because most people are protecting David. David comes through their area with 600 men, and and there's rumors of his appearance, and you know Saul's informants are out trying to get information, and they're getting information back that like, yeah, he was here, but we, I mean, he was right here. We, he was right here. Look at I, I was, I, man, that guy is crafty. I mean, he's got 600 plus running around, you'd think we'd be able to find him. I swear, he was right here last night. I don't know what happened to him. So he's getting, he's most most days, that's the information he gets back, is that somebody somebody saw him last night, we we followed up with the information, but now he's gone. No one knows where he is. No one knows what direction he, he headed. No one, no one can find any tracks. I'm sure they had trackers trying to find him. No one can find his tracks. Like there's people that are covering for David all throughout this desert, wilderness, hills, forest, ravines. Every day there's people that are covering his tracks and and making it very difficult for Saul to find him because they don't like Saul. They don't like Saul. They they probably like what Jonathan's doing with the country while Saul's out here, but, but they don't want Saul to get David. They don't like the fact that Saul is, in essence, causing a civil war. So they they hide his tracks. So Saul sends back this message to the Ziphites. Listen, you get me something specific. You find out where David usually goes. You find out where he's getting his resources. You find out the watering holes that he's getting his water from. I want to know where he generally goes because I keep hearing that he's very crafty and very hard to find. I want you to find all the hiding places he uses, and then come back to me with definitive information. Saul's like, I don't want some some vague thing like he's in this geographical area of 50, 60 miles. No, 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 no. I want to know real specifics. That's really what he's saying. Specifics, watering holes, hiding places, trails, his usual hangouts. Because when you're in the wilderness... There are places that you become comfortable in, places that you like to go to, places of resources like water, like maybe farmers and shepherds that would allow for certain sheep to be acquired. He knows, he knows David's got friends out there or he would have found them a lot a long time ago. He's like, "I want to know specifics, then I will come to you." And if he's in that area, I will track him down among all the clans of Judah. I will find him. If he's in your area, I will find him. I'll kill him. You don't have to worry about that part. Just get me information. Crazy. And they expected a reward for this information. 
So they clearly come back with that information. So the men of Ziph, they said they they get out in front of Saul, not like 20 feet in front of Saul, like they're out in front of him by a few days because they're going to get that information that he's looking for. They are now spying for Saul. Now David and his men were in the desert of Mon, uh, uh, on the south of Jishimon, and I'm sure you can look all that up and decide all that. They were doing their thing, staying, trying to stay as low-key as possible, trying to get all the supplies they need and survive each day. Saul and his men began to search. The men of Ziph had narrowed it down. They were getting closer. 3,000 men with Saul. They are all working together. And when David was told about it, he went down to to the, quote, the rock and stayed there at the desert. He went to a place that was basically um, deep ravines, steep, steep, uh, steep sides, deep valleys, very rocky, very difficult to track in. But if you were, you know, if if you were on the top, and your enemy was on the, you know, in the valley, it'd be it'd be what they what what we would call a used to call like a turkey shoot, like they just it's just an ugly it's an ugly situation. But that's where that's where he went. He went to the rock in the desert, and when Saul found this out, he went right after him, hardcore, pedal to the metal. Uh, I don't think they had, uh, not stirrups. What are those things? Stirrups are where you put your feet. Spurs, you know, spurs to the to the to the ribs of the of the mules. They were, they were hot on the trail. They knew they were getting close. It literally says Saul was going along one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side, hurrying like like they were, they were running. They were Saul and his men were in one deep ravine. And on the other side of this steep mountain, not really a mountain. I mean, it's really a hill, but it's it's so steep, like you can't get up there very easily. You have to you have to work your way to the end and and then come back down the other valley. But in that other valley is David and his men, and they're running. Like they know Saul is like in the kill zone. He's close enough now that we could. Like we could hear them, we could see the dust from the from the from the men that are on the other side of the ravine. This is uh, your adrenaline starting to flow. Their eyes are getting wide. They're 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 waiting for the for the moment where they're going to have to turn and literally fight for their lives. And Saul's men are are also, I'm sure, getting geared up. Right? They're they're out to kill. The same thing. They're they're not. Uh, they're not bummed out about finding David. This is what they've been doing for weeks, trying to find out where this guy is. Now they've got him. They got him with. They know they're close. They know they're close, and they were closing in on him because they probably had more resources, more mules. They're closing in. David and his men are running, and then a messenger comes to Saul. He says, uh, "The Philistines are attacking." They are raiding the land. And this probably means the land of Benjamin. This probably means the land of the northern tribes, the land that Saul was committed to. Remember, Saul was in Judah, pursuing David, getting really close, had good inside information, had him within his sights almost. I don't think he saw him, but they were that close. 
And Saul gets word. I don't know where this messenger was. I don't know how the messenger knew where Saul was. But he runs in, rides in. And he arrives with information. Listen, the Philistines are raiding the land. They're raiding a place that you are committed to protect. And Saul breaks off his pursuit. Like it had to be a message that was that intense. Because Saul was so close. And he steps back and he goes, you know, I, I picture him stopping his mule. He gets the message. He reads the message or he hears the message. He looks at his, his advisor, his close guards, his friends. I don't know if Abner was with him or not. But they all look at him and it's kind of like, well, we already have the army put together. 3,000 men are here. We're going up against the Philistines. It's in a land that we're sworn to protect. We can always find David again. We have inside information. We have we have uh, you know a large clan, the Ziphites, that are now on our side. They'll help us find them again. They'll 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 keep track of them for us. That's why I don't think they knew how close they were to David. I don't think they understood that they were right on the other side of the ridge. But David's men knew where they were. David's men knew how close Saul's men were. And I have a feeling David's men realized the dust had settled. They probably stopped. They probably, you know, are crouched down in the sh in the shadows of rocks and cliffs, and they're waiting. They're breathing heavy. They don't know why the dust has stopped. They don't know where Saul and his men are, and they just wait. and 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 then the dust starts up again, but it's headed the other direction. It's headed away from them. And they wait for a little while. They send a scout up to the top of the ridge. And the scout is looking. And sure enough, all the men are trailing away. They're heading somewhere else. And he comes back down. And, he's, and he tells them the good news. And I'm sure David's men were like, yes, praise God. This is amazing. He saved us again. And once again, David looks back and says, wow, the, the, Lord is, the Lord's goodness showed up again today. That was a lot closer than uh, than I like, but we're still alive. Every day is good. Every day is good. I trust God in this journey. And so David went from there to live in another area of the of the country um, called En Gede. But again, it was wilderness. It was it was rocks. It was caves. It was strongholds uh, what that means is that these were areas that were easy to easier to defend if you were if you came up against them so they were like you know horseshoe canyons canyons and uh and and places where you could you could encamp yourself right alongside of a of a mountain uh range that was very steep and very difficult to come down and and you could camp along there and so you kind of protected your back you only had a you only had to guard the front there was only one way to come at you these were the strongholds but there were also places where you could also get trapped and it it was just a matter of of staying moving and staying alert and staying you know and paying attention but in all of this david you know, we we have. I, I want to. I just want to go back to the beginning of the story. David was encouraged by friendship. He was encouraged by someone who was as committed to the plan of uh, of God as he was, even though the plan looked horrible. I mean, honestly, 
If you knew you were in the plan of God, but you were also running for your life, it'd be, it, there'd be a lot of people that would tell you, you're not in the right plan. You haven't chosen correctly. You're not listening to the right God at this point. But I believe that that David stayed in contact with God. And even though his circumstances looked bad, he always felt the favor of God. He always was thankful for the way God showed up every day to protect him. And it's with thankfulness that we entered the presence of God. So David stayed thankful. And in that thankfulness, even though his circumstances looked weird to the outsider, internally, David was, David was okay. David was at peace. And I'm sure that, that he had that conversation with Jonathan because because Jonathan is a good friend, and I, you know David's like Jonathan. I know this looks terrible. I know it looks like I'm never going to be king. I know this looks like I've screwed things up really bad when I left last time. And I'm sure Jonathan's like, well, yeah, it does look bad, but I agree with you, David. I think you're going to be king. I really do. I don't think my dad's going to kill you. I don't think he can kill you. I think God's on your side, and when you become king, however the crazy journey is from this wilderness to to being king of Israel, I'm going to be with you, and I'll be your second. You have my total support. I mean, contrast this goodbye to the last time they said goodbye, and this is huge. You know, what a big difference. Last time David left, he was he was fearful. He had given into fear for probably about six or seven hours, right? And he had run to the Philistine strong, uh, uh, capital city, and he tried to find uh, exile there. And then he had to act like a crazy man. And he ended up in the caves of Adullam. And it's it's crazy what happened last time they left. But this time when they left, he left encouraged. He left he left confident that what he was doing was in the will of God so, and, and, and was going to be a, a place where eventually God would get him to the throne room. His friend confirmed that with him. So David stayed in the wilderness until, I, 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 don't, I don't know what David's thinking, I don't, but I, I, have a, I have a sense that his thought is, as long as Saul is pursuing me, it's not my time. God's got to take care of Saul because I'm not going to attack 3,000 of my countrymen. I'm not going to take them on. I'll keep running. Honestly, David David knows the, knows the strongholds, right? He literally uh, is, is moving from stronghold to stronghold. David could have set up a defense. It's 3,000 men. David killed more than 3,000 men before with six, with less than, you know, with six or 800 people. <clears throat> David's strategies, uh, military strategies are second to none. He's literally undefeated on the battlefield because because of his strategies he's that wise that smart that intuitive that fast in making decisions he could have taken on 3000 men and destroyed them and probably killed Saul and been like there problem solved but he didn't see Saul as the problem he saw Saul's problem which was Saul doesn't know how wonderful he is Saul doesn't know how much he's loved Saul doesn't doesn't understand how to enter into the anointing that God has put on him. And I'm not going to be the guy who takes out God's anointed. I'm not going to destroy this guy. I'm going to let God work with him. God work with me, and God keeps protecting me. See, David saw his protection as, 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 uh, as evidence that he needed to remain in the wilderness until God took care of Saul. He didn't know how that would happen. He just knew it wasn't his job to make it happen. 
There's a lot of ministries that make things happen. There's a lot of people that try to make things happen, and they do. And it's not that God can't work through those things or that his goodness can't override those things. It's that it's not the best way, and that's fine. Like I said, God's goodness is still there. God's favor can still show up. But if you don't learn your lessons along the way, God, the, the circumstances will keep bringing up those lessons you need to learn. That's the relentless pursuit of God's love. It's not that God orchestrates circumstances in order to force you to learn these lessons. It's that the, the lessons are, are your next step. They'll just keep coming. It's a great opportunity. His goodness is like, here it is. Here's an opportunity for promotion. Here's an opportunity for spiritual promotion, spiritual favor, spiritual blessing. And I'm going to keep bringing you that, uh, that opportunity. And if you keep rejecting it, that's fine with me. I'm not upset. I don't do it because I'm angry. I do it because I love you. And I'm going to keep loving you. I'm never going to leave you. It doesn't matter if you never take another step on your spiritual journey. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will always love you. My goodness will always be available for you. And that's the way David saw Saul. He saw him as somebody who just needed to step into the goodness and love of God that was available to him. He was also pretty sure, I think, that if Saul stepped into that goodness and love, he would stop pursuing David and they would be as they were before. So that's where we're going to leave things. Saul's running off to defend his country against the Philistines and David ran and his 600 men marched, run, walk, meandered their way into the strongholds of Engedi. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Epic Narrative. If you have questions for Bob or would like to reach out for booking, please email us at thebobswitzer at gmail.com or visit thebobswitzer.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe to The Epic Narrative Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. See you next week for another chapter in our story on The Epic Narrative. The Epic Narrative.